0: when we gathered here we still thought that we might meet as a congregation. We'd said last week no teas, no coffees after the morning, after the service and that raised some eyebrows but we didn't really expect it so soon we'd be in the position not just of not meeting but not knowing when we will next be able to gather together. Through our live stream and recording and Claremont's Facebook page and via email, we will be working hard to keep in touch and to bring to folks as full a ministry as we can. For those not on the internet, we've been on the telephone where possible and we will be exploring what other options we will be able to fulfill in the time ahead. These are very unusual times for all of us and very much we are learning as we go. And in this unusual time and stage, I want to break off, for this week at least, from our series on Isaiah 53, the series that we've been working through during Lent, and I hope it becomes clear as we look today at Psalm 124, I hope it becomes clear why I wanted to do that. These Psalms were written a long time ago, and life was very different then. Life was very precarious Little awareness of health and safety, little security, and many dangers. And in Psalm 124, David, who wrote this psalm, takes much of what he had been through, but then applies it to a new situation. And that is what we seek to do week by week with the Scriptures. We seek to hear, to learn from the the voice of God what God is saying to us, and then to apply that to uh, our current situation. Psalm 124 is a song of hazard and of help. And in it, David mentions four potentially life-threatening dangers. Now, in Hebrew poetry, it was commonplace to emphasize something by by repeating it, either mentioning it twice exactly or else putting some parallel statement alongside To say this really matters. And in the dangers that David mentions in Psalm 124, he does that pairing twice. The first pair in verse 3, and then in verses 4 and 5, are drawn from nature itself dangers of being swallowed up and then flooding. And then there are two examples drawn from the animal kingdom. In verse 6, the savage beast. And then in verse 7, the menace of a cunningly placed trap. Now, David, in his fugitive days, when he was running away and hiding from King Saul, he faced those threats. There was a time of earthquake, or maybe even he could think of of Saul's army and Saul's soldiers swallowing him up. There was flash floods, Or maybe times, too, when he just felt that everything was crowding in over him and he could hardly get come up for air. And, of course, there were plenty of dangers of wild beasts and cunningly set traps. And now in Psalm 124, writing as Israel's king, as the people's king, he turns those experiences into lessons for the people. For the people of Israel, the next step could be into a yawning pit the people of Israel, they too might struggle to keep their heads above water as life circumstances rage around. They too have their enemies. They too have the opposition snapping at them like raging beasts and will have to be wary of traps and hidden dangers around them. But as well as wanting them to be aware of those, and in fact, more than that, David wants the people to be even more aware of the solution that he had found and the solution that he had proved in his own life and experience, that is the security that comes from knowing and trusting the Lord. So, sing and shout it out, verses 1 and 2. Let Israel say if the Lord had not been on their side. If God is for us, God on our side, and he continues to be the help that we need. So, verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Now, David, through his outlaw days and his days as a king, had known these troubles and difficulties, but he'd also known the provision and the support of God, the care of the Lord. And now in Psalm 124, he applies the lessons that he had learned to the national emergencies of the time. And in a similar way, we can take David's testimony, what David has learned, his words of hope that are, has been forged out of the firmness of his experience, and we can take them and apply them to our lives. We can apply these promises for ourselves And certainly, a time of difficulty, danger, and uncertainty is where we find ourselves these days. Many of the things that we had assumed, that we had taken for granted, that we chose to rely on, are suddenly under threat. We are in a time more like that of the Psalms, when stability is to be treasured, not assumed, when we cannot simply afford to drift along without thinking without taking huge care. There are traps and difficulties all around. And into this context, Psalm 124 speaks, urging us to sort out our priorities, urging us to make sure that we trust and depend on that which is trustworthy. One of the big lessons that we're learning as we go through this crisis of the virus is that we're seeing that instead of the assumed independence that we have, we are in fact more interdependent than we would acknowledge or realize. What took place in a province in China, amongst people that we do not know, people we never heard of or didn't even know existed, has landed on our doorstep. And not just on our doorstep, the doorstep of most of the rest of the world as well. We are seeing more clearly than ever how actions affect others. Shopping practices are an obvious example. We are seeing and realizing that what happens at one level, for example, the keeping of schools open or closing them, how that affects not just pupils and teachers, but many others in society. We're finding out that because we now cannot source parts from overseas, many of our manufacturing indices are closing down temporarily. At least we hope temporarily. And this really ought to make a lot of the thinking that goes on in our society be reconsidered. Far too widespread is the notion that we are, that we or we have been independent not so. Our consumption of goods, what we use up, we've been learning that all too slowly, that that's not simply a matter of personal choice or of whether or not we can afford it, but has all kind of knock-on effects for the environment, has all kind of knock-on effects for people working in, in sweatshops in other parts of the world. Our notion that we are independent, autonomous individuals, has bolstered the awful practice of abortion on demand. The argument is that it's a woman's body. She has rights, exclusive rights. As if nobody else was involved. Nobody else mattered. Least of all the fetus. Again, the vast increase in litigation. The breakdown of marriage in our society. Or even, in a strange way, the individualism of the group. When we set out almost as tribes, and criticize and condemn others who are not like us. It is the roots of racism and so on. A denial that there's any kind of interdependence towards anybody who's outside of our closed circle. It's not so. And one of the things that we're learning, and because it's more and more in our face, because of the effects of the virus, is that we are not independent. But also we are seeing that instead of being strong and safe, and our lives being strong and safe, life is something that is weak and fragile. The coronavirus has undermined a lot of what we've taken for granted. Of course, we're feeling the weakness and the fragility, most obviously, on the health front. But also, we can see it on the wealth front. Our economic system is being shown to be built of a house of cards. As long as it's a fair win, as long as confidence is high, as long as there are economies that are thriving in some parts of the world who can cope with others struggling, that's fine. But something like this virus, with the immobilizing that it's doing to many economies, has created fear and uncertainty and caused panic. And not just those who have stocks and shares are affected. People's pensions, insurance, savings, they're all in jeopardy. And even within the economies, too, are following advice to stay safe means a loss of income or jobs for many in sectors such as the hospitality industry. Suddenly, things are much weaker and more fragile than we imagine. And then we're also seeing that instead of supposing that life here is secure and eternity is distant and perhaps less real, suddenly the thought of eternity is a whole lot closer Most of our society, including, sad to say, in churches as well, we live as though this life is either the only one or perhaps at least the most significant one. And so we accrue more stuff, want more holidays, more and better experiences. We spend more on our appearance. That used to be a comment about clothes, but now includes all kinds of body modifications as well. And if we can spend it, why not? except that life is not our playground. But we are here to learn our responsibility, to acknowledge not just who, but also whose we are. And Psalm 124 points beyond ourselves to a creator and to a saviour. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Verse 8. It's the Lord, verse 6, who has not let us be torn, who has allowed us to escape, verse 7. And that is a Lord to whom we are all accountable. And so our non-independence, our fragility, ought to make us question our ways of self-service, self-indulgence, self-satisfying, self-promotion, self-seeking. Life is not just all about us. Psalm 124 is a song, as I said, of hazard and of help. It's an affirmation of God's sufficiency in and through challenging times. Now, if we are less sure of the trustworthiness of the Lord, less sure than David is, then perhaps the reason is that we've never, never given sufficient rigor to our trusting, our questioning. We have not sufficiently faced faith with its challenges and doubts. You see, David's confidence was strengthened by what he'd been through, by the things that we'd mentioned, the floods being swallowed up, the beasts around them, the traps that have been set. It's because he has been through these things and known God's help and seen God at work, here is the basis for him saying our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It is not that David, and it's certainly not the case, that Christians today are naive people or specially protected people. People of genuine faith know a great deal about trials, know a great deal about how powerful and how pervasive is sin. Rather, Because we know that this is not just our playground, we are more open to the hurts and the challenges, the threats that impact not just ourselves, but the world that we are interdependent with. Psalm 124 is an instance of a person who digs deeply into life's troubles and find there the presence of God who is on our side. In the details of the hardship, the great greatness of God becomes revealed in the particular, the small instance of David's personal testimony. Now, some people find great restoration in, for the soul in the beauty and the grand, grandeur of creation. From there comes the impetus to praise God, the God who made heaven and earth. But Psalm 124 looks in the other direction. And so must we in times like what we are facing just now. Psalm 124 looks into the troubles of life, the anxiety of personal issues and emotional trauma. And yet it sees there a God who is on our side, who is our help. And so is the calling for the believer to realize that when shaken, we must remember what is that really counts and what we can rely on. And so we have to learn to speak our praise in a world that is hellish. We have to sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We have to live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. And it's because it is the Lord who matters. Now, whether or not that is true for Each of us individually is only something to be discovered as to whether or not we live it. Just as you cannot learn to swim without first getting into the water, just as you cannot learn to ride a bike without getting on one, in a similar way, we cannot learn to depend on God unless we actually do put our trust in Him. We cannot know the joy of Psalm 124. We cannot rejoice in the affirmation of God's care and God's salvation without trusting him and trusting him at all times. You see, the reality is that for most of us, a succession of sunny days stops us thinking about the Lord. They lead us away into myths about things are fine we are strong we can be independent we can manage and we are blinded to the reality of eternity and so amongst all the hearts and amongst all the danger amongst all the difficulties here is a time to ask ourselves some serious questions are we really as independent As we have believed ourselves to be? Are we really as independent as we have lived? Independent not just from one another, but independent from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Are we really as strong? Are we really as self sufficient as we have believed ourselves to be and as we have lived? Or is there not the time for humbly recognizing our weakness and our frailty? Is is it really the case that this is the main thing, and if there's an eternity at best, then it's some kind of consolation show. No, 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 says Psalm 124. No, 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 says the whole Bible story and the whole gospel. And it does so in order to lead us to greener pastures, to lead us to richer places, to give us and bring us to more satisfying outcomes, even if and even when the route there is filled with trouble, with danger, and with attack. Let us pray.